Welcome to episode 10 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm sitting here with uh, my friend Ross Hodges, a fellow laborer at Christ Church, and uh, Dr. Gabriel Williams is not with us. He's actually down at the Charleston Marina getting his yacht ready um, to take out a hundred of his closest friends and I think they're having a party. Isn't that right, Ross? Yeah, I think so. I don't know why we didn't get invited. I, I'm a little little put out about that. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, he, he just, he bought that yacht two weeks ago and he <laughs> promised we'd be able to, to get on that. But uh, anyway, we'll get back to uh, ministry as Gabriel enjoys his, uh, his adventures on the seven seas. Uh, Ross, you were uh, at uh, General Assembly this summer and in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and uh, this is your first General Assembly as a commissioner. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, it's a bit overwhelming, but um, it, it was enjoyable nonetheless and found it encouraging to be there and to uh, be part of the, the Presbyterianism put into action and just to see our, our denomination hold fast and uh, have good votes and, and just in, encourage a gospel witness, um, and also I, there were, you know, there's, for those who've never been to a General Assembly, there's a lot of other things you can attend and seminars and such, and was encouraged to be a part of one uh, from the Gospel Reformation Network, the GRN, um, and uh, the good work that it is doing, uh, just helping our denomination have a, a, a biblical and robust view on not just justification, but sanctification, and um, in case our listeners don't know, that's something that you're involved in. Yeah, I've been involved in that for a few years and, and more heavily this past year. And uh, we've been really encouraged to see the response uh, to uh, the teaching and uh, the articles and, and podcasts and videos that we've been uh, putting out, uh, wanting to help uh, people, as you say, gain a proper biblical and confessional view of sanctification. There's a lot of confusion about that, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think so. And uh, probably would be a good time to discuss the, the, the differences between what people see as legalism and the, the actual biblical injunction for sanctification and growing in holiness. Um, it seems mm. like our day, there's a lot of confusion over those things. So mm. um, tell, tell us a little bit about what uh, the GRN is wanting to promote and just what bib, uh, biblical Christianity should be promoting as far as um, a robust view of, of sanctification and, and why that isn't legalism. Yeah, so I, legalism, of course, understood uh, rightly, is that which says that uh, the work of Christ is not enough uh, mm -hmm. for our justification. That it's Christ plus something. Yes. Christ plus our good works. Yes. Uh, Christ plus me being uh, really committed to my Sunday school class. Uh, Christ uh, plus... Uh, me reading my Bible every day, uh, that, that my own righteousness must be added to Christ's righteousness in order to save me from my sins. So legalism uh, is first and foremost that which would undermine the person and finished work of Christ. It's a claim that Christ is not enough. Another form of legalism would be heaping on the believer uh, that which would be heavily perceived because of emphasis as loading on to the Christian that which he cannot do, uh, that which he feels overwhelmed with. Mm. And uh, so, for instance, if a pastor uh, preached 10 sermons and in none of those sermons was a clear uh, declaration, proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the free gospel of Christ, but it was only about do this and do that, uh, why then you could be rightly called uh, a legalist or, or moving into that world of legalism. But 
what oftentimes happens is that people confuse legalism with a call to holiness. Mm. And when we read the scriptures and we think of the New Testament in particular, there are heavy, heavy emphasis, there's a heavy emphasis made upon living the Christian life in light of your justification. Yes. So you are in union with Christ, you are justified, you are declared righteous in the sight of God, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you in his life and in his death and resurrection. But in Christ, you are called to live a life of godliness, not adding to what Christ has done, but as a result of what Christ has done. In other words, he hasn't just saved us from something, namely he hasn't just saved us from sin, death, and hell, he's also saved us to a life of growing godliness. That's right, and if if someone is going to sort of uh, think that legalism and, uh, and and holiness are the same thing, it seems like there's going to be some difficulty then reading, say, just take for example uh, Paul's epistles, where hmm. uh, there are uh, massive amounts of instruction about the Christian life, and I I think what often is uh, misunderstood is that the these letters are taken as a whole and so you you begin reading something say like Ephesians and you read the first several chapters and there's this marvelous declaration and explanation of the gospel of grace and uh, it seems in our day a lot of people want to sort of stop there they want to, they want to stop once Paul gets to the end of of declaring our righteousness in Christ and our um, salvation by grace and those sorts of things um, but but Paul keeps going, and he keeps going for a reason. Yes, he does. Uh, we see his epistles structured in this way, don't we? Uh, Romans 1 through 11. Uh, we have marvelous doctrine. Uh, the Mount Everest of the gospel in yes. Romans, uh, clearly articulated. The doctrine of justification, uh, the doctrine of uh, God's work in sanctification, the doctrine of election and predestination, where these marvelous categories clearly expounding upon the love of God in Christ and his saving of sinners. But then you get to, to chapter 12 and it says, therefore, therefore, by the mercies of God or in light of the mercies of God, now live as a living sacrifice, right. uh, holy and pleasing to Lord. This is your spiritual worship. We have the same thing in First Peter, don't we? Yes, we do. The, the first section of First Peter and verses 3 through 12 of chapter 1, it's a marvelous exposition of the grace of God. I mean, clearly, this is in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and it gets better, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And it goes on and on like this cascade of God's grace coming yes. down on us. Yes. And then it gets to verse 13 of, of chapter 1. And, and we wouldn't want to call Peter a legalist. And we wouldn't want to say that Peter forgot about those first <laughs> 12 verses. But listen to what he says in, chap in verse 13 of chapter 1. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. So therefore, in light of this salvation... Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, mm. do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy 
in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Yes, yes, that really you see Peter and Paul and John and Jesus and the rest of the biblical authors mm. bringing out the, the point that you were making earlier that the gospel of grace saves us and it saves us from sin, death, and hell. But the gospel of grace in sanctification also transforms us. And it is the design, the, the good design, the loving design, the gracious design of God that we don't stay in the same place uh, where we begin spiritually, that, yes. that we move from one place to another. And never is it the idea of Scripture, or, and never should it be preached, that you do this on your own power, you do this no. um, by your own strength, and, and that you gain your standing with God through this. No. But there is this expectation that if you are in Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you will be moving along in sanctification uh, into, into greater degrees of faith and love and hope and obedience. How does Paul uh, describe the Christian life? He describes it as walking. Yes. Uh, when you're walking, you're not walking, you're not thinking of a treadmill. As far as I know, treadmills weren't around in the first century. <laughs> not yet, not quite yet. Walking means progress. You are walking with the Lord. You are progressing forward. Paul talks about in um, in Philippians, he says to press on. Uh, uh, he says uh, he's fighting the good fight of faith. There's there's an active spirit empowered. Yes, uh, Paul in Colossians one talks about laboring and toiling in the ministry in the energy of Christ. So. We're not saying that we're on our own on this or that we're doing this in our own strength. We are enabled by the Holy Spirit who has made us alive in Christ. We know that God is sovereign in sanctification and yet in that sovereignty he's calling us, enabled by the indwelling Holy Spirit, to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. There is such a thing as displeasing the Lord as a Christian. Yes, yes, and to, to say that uh, you really should not be telling people how to to live their Christian life is, is really to, to make the scriptures anemic. It, they, it, it takes away um, almost another side of the coin of, of what uh, the Lord Jesus Christ does for you in the, the scope of your salvation. Because salvation isn't just justification. It's not just um, being born again. It's, there's actually a, a transformation that is good and pleasant and wonderful for believers. Yes, we have both indicatives and imperatives in Scripture. And if we want to take the weight of the New Testament, the weight would be on imperatives. That's right. Now, we have all kinds of glorious indicatives or God's promises that are telling us who God is, what He has done, and who we are in Christ by grace through faith. And we glory in those. We boast in those. We revel and rest in those things through faith. And yet, the weight of the New Testament is this is how you live in light of those light promises. Of those yeah. And because of those promises, you are uh, a new creation in Christ. You have a new identity. And so, there, therefore, live this way. I mean, Ephesians, the same way. We, we've talked about the structure of Paul's epistles. In the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, this marvelous exposition of the gospel. And then it says in chapter 4, I, therefore, therefore. a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, Paul's about to tell us how to live. Right. He's about to call us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's going to call us to live in this way with all humility and gentleness, 
with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We get to chapter 5. Listen to what he says here. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so it goes on and on uh, in this section. It goes on to talk about wives and husbands and their relationship and how they are commanded to treat one another and how parents ought to raise their children. And, yes. and so this idea that you are entering into legalism by simply preaching the Bible in mm -hmm. light of the grace of God is right. just a nonsense. It's, 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 it's uh, out of place to say such things. So we would have to conclude then that if... Um preaching the imperatives of Scripture. Um, yes, in light of the gospel, in light of the indicatives, that always has to be the case. But uh, if, if preaching the imperatives really is, is a form of legalism, then we would have to say the apostles and even Jesus himself uh, were legalists. And can I say, Ross, that I love Reformed worship. Yes. I, I, I love the emphasis of Reformed worship. There is biblical balance there. Uh, when we look at the liturgy of our church and of like-minded Reformed churches, uh, we enter into the presence of a holy God, we declare our love and allegiance to Him, and yet as we come into the presence of a holy God, we recognize that we are sinners. We're still struggling with sin as Christians. And so we confess our sins to him. And then we get that wonderful assurance of pardon mm. where we ask the congregation to stand and we receive the promise of God's grace and forgiveness in Christ. Amen. And who doesn't want to hear that every Sunday? I, I, mean, I want to hear it over and over because I'm a sinner. I need his grace, not just once, but every, every day and, and certainly every Lord's Day I want it emphasized. And then we come, of course, to, uh, uh, to the sermon and uh, to the prayers and in all of these things the gospel is being trumpeted forth and then every Lord's Day of course we are committed to coming to the Lord's table That's right. which if you botch up the rest of the service and don't get the gospel <laughs> right certainly when you come to the table there's going to be a clear communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life who died a sacrificial atoning propitiatory death and who rose victoriously from the dead for our salvation and so what I love about our Reformed liturgy is it clearly trumpets the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and makes it abundantly clear yes. that we are not saved by our own works, which is legalism. Yes. Now, yes. now, when we come to a text in Scripture where there is application of how we are called to live, mm -hmm. some would say to do that, to actually preach the Bible and the way it calls us to live is legalism. But that is where we take issue and we say no, uh, that is, uh, that's a wrong understanding of the gospel when you try to separate sanctification from it. Because it's not only good news that we've been saved from a life that ends in destruction, but, but it's good news that we've been saved to a, to a life to uh, growing holiness, sanctification, and growing closer to the Lord in our ex Christian experience. That's right. That's and and, and hol holiness is happiness for the Christian. It is. It is. It would not be good news to say you have been saved, but you cannot, you cannot live any differently. It is the uh, a, 
a, the deceit of our sinful flesh, of that old man that still lives inside. It's, it's, it's a deceit of the sinful flesh to say that the only way we will have true happiness is to to get the next job or to have the next relationship or to right. uh, get the next uh, promotion or uh, to have the next uh, material possession because we know when we have Christ we have everything we need and so growing in holiness and sanctification means growing closer to the Lord and becoming more and more content and satisfied in Him and that's, that's, that's growth in the Christian life, isn't it? Amen, amen. Well, this has been a wonderful discussion and we hope you will join us again next time on Between the Times.